So here we are, it is December the 22nd, and you can just feel that something major is about to happen in our world, at least you can tell if you happen to drive by the mall. Did you, anybody drive by the mall yesterday? All right, Statesboro Mall has like six stores, right? And there are people parking on the grass in front of Starbucks. Something major is about to happen in our world. Something big, some big event is about to take place. Everything's sort of building toward December 24th, 25th. Excuse me. Um, in our house, we are dealing with this very feeling. My daughter, Addison, um, is just so excited about Christmas. You know, I thought last year when she was three years old that she really got what Christmas was about. No, this year, she's like full on Christmas. I mean, in June, we were talking about what Santa was going to bring for Christmas this year. And, and so we've had to be very um, clever with how we tell Santa what we want. Um, because Santa, you know, just, just sending a letter every now and again doesn't cut it anymore. Um, my daughter knows that we have smartphones, and so we've changed up how we communicate with Santa. We don't just send letters now. Um, if, if there's something that Addie thinks she wants for Christmas or want Santa to bring her, we take a photo with our iPhone and we text it to Santa because Santa is an Apple guy. He is. I promise you that. He's an Apple guy. And so he gets the iMessage um, with the rainbow dash that she's just been so fired up about. Some of you guys are into My Little Pony, I know, and rainbow dash is it this year. So um, we got a picture of rainbow dash sent off to Santa and, and Santa hopefully gets the message and is going to bring it this year, but it's not, she doesn't just shop for herself or, or make wishes for herself. She also makes wishes for Lily Grace, who's eight months old, because Lily Grace doesn't know what she wants yet, right? And so Big Sister, Big Sister's going to make sure that Lily Grace is taken care of with all sorts of Barbie dolls and Barbie movies and, and Rainbow Dash, because, <laughs> because that's what she wants for Christmas. Um, and I've struggled this year uh, more than I have any other year. Um, with my, my daughters, trying to figure out where does Jesus fit into all of this? You know, it's, it's easy to do it when it's just you, because you can sort of take a step back and pause as adults. We can take a step back and pause and reflect on uh, the birth of Christ in our world. But how do you tell a four-year-old that, you know, yeah, Santa, great, but there's more going on here. There's a bigger story than just Rudolph and frosty and, and what's happening at the North Pole and all other 364 days of the year. There's a bigger story than just all of the Christmas trees and parties and food. Where does Jesus fit in? Because if you're not careful, if we're not careful, if I'm not careful with myself, Santa will come to the house, but Jesus will be left in the stable. I mean, this is how Christmas has begun to work in our world. If we're not careful, Santa will show up in our living rooms and drop off presents and Jesus will stay out in the manger. And we won't let him in to our hearts or into our lives or even into Christmas morning. So this morning what I want to do is share with you the story of Jesus' birth from the Gospel of Matthew. And, and Matthew's version of Jesus' birth is very different um, than the story that you normally hear. Normally, whenever we talk about Jesus' birth, um, we read from Luke uh, chapter 2. Um, if you've ever seen um, a Charlie Brown Christmas, you know the Charlie Brown Christmas 
when Linus walks up on stage and he says, I can tell you what Christmas is all about, Charlie, Charlie Brown. Lights, please. The lights go down. And what does Linus begin to say? He begins to quote Luke chapter 2. This is the story we all know, right? Glories and, and angels and wise men and shepherds. The wise men are actually in Matthew's gospel, not in Luke's gospel. But wise men come from Matthew's gospel. And there's all sorts of, all sorts of excitement around this manger in the middle of of Bethlehem. But there's one character that no matter how intentional you really are about Christmas gets left out, but Matthew pays particular attention to, and that is Joseph. You think it's, it's easy to let Jesus slip out of Christmas? You can just bypass Joseph. You don't even know that Joseph exists. Um, this morning, Bill was telling the story um, about nativities that he has in his office. He has little manger scenes that he keeps in his office. And he pulled the manger scene out this year, and he had a hard time figuring out who Joseph was. You ever have that problem in your house? You've got like, you know, three wise men and they're easy because they've all got crowns. And then you've got a, a shepherd in blue and a shepherd in red and a shepherd in uh, yellow. And which one's Joseph? Because they all look the same. It's, Joseph is easily missed, very easily missed in the whole story of Christmas. But he plays a pivotal role in Matthew's gospel, in Matthew chapter 1 beginning at verse 18. So if you have your notes, go ahead and open up your notes to Matthew 1.18 or your smartphones or your Bibles. Go ahead and open up to Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. The verses are going to be up here on the screen as well. This is what Matthew says. This is how the birth of Christ took place. Now the birth of Jesus the Messiah took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly. Now let me, let me tell you the truth right now about this passage. Joseph has made up his mind to leave his soon-to-be wife, Mary. Now, now in ancient Israel, there's, there's two steps to marriage. There's this, this first step where you're betrothed or you become engaged, is how we would say it. You become engaged, um, but, but the wife sort of lives at home, right? You're engaged, she lives at home, you don't live with her. And there's a second step to marriage. And the second step to marriage in ancient Israel is that the, the wife would then live with Joseph. So this scene that we're reading about is in between those two moments. So they They've been betrothed to each other. They've gotten engaged, as we would say, but they haven't gone through the wedding ceremony yet and made it official. So they're in this sort of in-between, in-between time in their relationship and in their life. And, and Joseph finds out that Mary is pregnant and he's made up his mind that he's going to quietly leave his fiance. Could you, and could you blame him? I mean, could you blame Joseph for wanting to walk away. You got to think about Joseph's position and where he was. His soon-to-be wife is pregnant, and he knows it. And the child is not his, and he knows it. And I'm sure that Joseph is hurt. I'm sure that Joseph is wounded. I'm sure that Joseph is brokenhearted, but Joseph has a quality about him that not everyone possesses, and that quality is, is that he is a righteous man. He seeks to do the right thing. He's righteous. He's a follower of God, and though he's heartbroken, 
He wants to make sure that Mary is taken care of. He wants to do what's right, not just what he's allowed to do. Because what he's allowed to do is disgrace Mary. He's allowed to throw her out in the street. He's actually allowed to have her stoned. All of these things are possibilities for what Joseph could have done to his fiancée, Mary. He could have disgraced her whole family by bringing this up and making it public. He could have brought it all out. He could have shamed her. But Joseph is a righteous man. And he has this quality about him that says, I just can't do that, so I'm going to dismiss her quietly. You know, we're not used to this. We're not accustomed to thinking about the beauty and the wonder and the majesty of, of Christmas and how the stars must have twinkled just right on that first Christmas Eve as Christ is being born in a manger. We're used to thinking about the wonder of the shepherds. We're used to hearing the songs of angels. But there's this heartache that Joseph must have felt that, that was very real leading up to those moments. Surely he was distressed. Surely he felt betrayed and disappointed and a whole host of other emotions. He, sh- he was probably scared and hurt. And wondered to himself what it, what it would be that he would, himself would do. See, Mary and Joseph, y'all, aren't just stained glass images from the inside of a church building. Mary and Joseph are real people with real problems. They're flesh and blood people. And the more that we can imagine them as people like us with ups and downs in their relationships... As we can imagine ourselves as more like them, as people who go through all sorts of damaging moments and painful times in their lives and yet realize that God does something incredible to accomplish his purposes through them. If we can begin to imagine that, I think the Christmas story can become more real to us. So in the middle of the distress and the disappointment of the moment... Just when Joseph has made up his mind that it's over, that he is going to dismiss his fiancée, just when he's decided to walk away, Joseph has a dream. And isn't it just like a guy named Joseph to have a dream? Check out verse 20. But just when he had resolved to do this, just when Joseph had decided to walk away, An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit, and she will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All of this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet, look, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Think for a second about Joseph's decision. History, history as we know it, hangs on Joseph's decision. Does he listen to the voice of the angel that he, he hears in a dream? Or does he go with his gut that says, dismiss this girl quietly? And Joseph is there and he has to make a choice. Does he believe the voice of God from the dream? Is he convinced that God has done this to fulfill scripture? Or does he go ahead with his plan, 
to dismiss Mary. That's a huge, that's a huge, huge decision. I know you probably don't think that this is the case, but every day you and I, we face the same kind of decisions. Maybe not as big as dismissing our wife or dismissing our husband as it may be. We all face decisions that seem perhaps insignificant but hold eternity in the balance. Decisions that can either help us move toward the future that we have in Christ and the hope that God has for each and every one of us or, or the decisions that we make, they have the potential to take us outside of God's will and outside of God's purpose for our life and who we are becoming. So what I want you to do this morning is I want you to write down this principle. And if you've been around me, you've heard me say this before. Um, this is a principle that's absolutely true. And it's true in this moment for Joseph as much as it is true in every moment of your life. That every direction has a destination. Every direction has a destination. Every choice that you make has to do with the direction of your life, the trajectory of your life, where you are going, who you are becoming, how you will grow and develop as a follower of Jesus Christ. So every choice that you make affects your direction in life, and every direction in life has a destination. You know, some of you are going to be traveling over the next few days to be with family. Um, On Christmas Day, Stephanie and Addie and Lily Grace and I, we're packing up and we're going to Waycross. And then the next day, uh, after coming back home, we're going to Richmond Hill. And so um, I'm going to tell you the most direct way to get to Waycross from our house. And that is to get on Highway 301. You go down 301, you take a right onto 169, and you stay on 169 all the way until you get to uh, Surrency. Anybody know where Surrency is? One, two, okay, three people know where Surrency is. You get to Surrency and you keep going because surely there's something after Surrency, but there's not. Uh, There's pine trees. You go all the way to 121. You hang a left on 121. Stay on 121 all the way until you get to Blackshear. And you got choices in Blackshear, but generally they all say go right. And if you go right, you end up headed toward Waycross or Jamestown depending on which right turn that you make. That's generally the way to get to Waycross. Now, some of you are like me, and you don't like back roads all that much. You'd rather drive on the interstate, and that's fine. You can, you can drive on the interstate all you want, unless you want to go to Waycross. Right? If you want to go to Waycross, there's one way. There's a few minor turns you can make that'll make a little tiny difference. But you cannot ride the interstate. You can ride it to Savannah. You can ride it to Atlanta and to Macon and to parts unknown. But listen, if you want to go to Waycross, got to get on 301, 169, 169 to 121, 121, take a right. And you'll be headed toward Waycross. If you make a decision along the way that takes you off of that route, If you make a decision that says, you know, I don't want to ride a back road, I'm going to ride an interstate, you're never going to get to Waycross. There's no interstate that will take you there. The same is true about the destinations that we have in our life and in our faith. There's a way for us to live in to the future and the hope and the will of God for our lives. 
There's only one way, though. Yeah, you can make a different turn here and a different turn there. But there's one way. And that is by trusting in God through faith that the plan that he's laid out for us is good, that his will for our life is good, that the purpose that he has for our life is good. The way that you arrive at the destination that God has in plan in his mind for you and for your life is that you make little choices along the way that affect the direction, the trajectory of who you are and who you're becoming. So Joseph is left with a choice. He's left with a choice. He could do whatever he wants. God didn't say, Joseph, you're going to do this. God said, Joseph, Mary is having a child. Here's what I want you to do. Not here's what you have to do. Take a look down at verse 24. When Joseph, who's a dreamer, awoke from the sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and he took her as his wife. He took Mary as his wife, but he had no marital relations with her until she had borne a son, and he named him Jesus. No one would have blamed Joseph for disgracing Mary. No one would have blamed Joseph for throwing the full weight of the law upon her in the situation. In fact, nobody would have known. As far as we know, the only two people that know that Mary, well, three people that know that Mary is pregnant are God, Mary, and Joseph. And if Joseph decides to make a a different decision, no one else is going to know. No one would have been the wiser. He would have been protected by law. He would have been justified in taking that course of action, but every direction has a destination. And so instead of doing what he was allowed to do, what felt comfortable, what he knew would be easiest, Joseph becomes a husband and a father. The husband and the father that he was called to be. He followed the will of God and built a family that not only raised up a child, but a child that would change the course of history, a child that would affect your life and affect my life. And he did this all because he did what he was called to do. But he never could have made that step if he didn't have faith. That the God of the universe who set everything in motion loved him. And cared about him. If he didn't believe that the God of the universe was not only concerned with the world, but was concerned with his life, I'm pretty well convinced that Joseph wouldn't have made the decision that he made. You see, it's one thing to believe in God, a God who cares about the world. It's another thing to believe in a God who cares about people. People like you and people like me. It's a totally different thing to believe that God is intimately concerned with your life and your part in the story of salvation that he's writing. But that's the faith that Joseph came to have. And that's the faith that you and I are called to have as well. And God, God hasn't just hinted or suggested he's concerned with our life. He's shown us, sent his son to be born in a manger, to be named Jesus, the one who would save us 
from our sins, to be called Emmanuel, God with us, God in the flesh. God has shown us that he loves us and he is concerned about you and about me and about the decisions that we make. Because ultimately, the choices that we make define who we are becoming and where we are going in this life and in the life to come. Don't forget Jesus this Christmas. And please don't forget Joseph this Christmas. Because his act of faith has made a difference in this world and in our lives. Don't forget Jesus. And don't forget Joseph. Would you pray with me this morning?